Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive podcast. It's me, Chris Howard from Lace Partners. Thank you very much, as always, for being here today. We have, it's an all Lace affair today, and we are going to be talking about our One Big Thing campaign. If you are familiar with the campaign, you listen to our podcast a lot, you may have heard, heard us talk about some of the topics within it. And we're just drawing this campaign to a kind of natural conclusion, if you like. And what I wanted to do today is get two of our uh, our thought leaders who have inputted into the campaign to just give me some reflections because we've recently, well, I say recently, it was probably um, by the time you were listening to this, it will probably have been about a month ago, we released a few videos. They were called Fireside Chat videos. And myself and my two guests and one of our members of our team, Alice, uh, joined me on a lovely sofa, which we recorded a chat around some of the themes around the One Big Thing campaign. So for today's podcast, I'm not going to go over the details of what we did, the methodology behind the one big thing, because I'm going to make the assumption, lovely listener, that you have already seen and heard. And if you want to download it, just go to our website. If you haven't seen or heard it, read the white paper, it's lacepartners.co.uk. And then you should be able to access it using our insight section and search for the white paper section. But I wanted to get, as I said, two of our thought leaders in. And I've got Chris Horton with me. How are you doing, Chris? Hi, Mr. Howard. How are you? I'm fabulous. I'm fabulous. And I've got Mr. Tim Ringo. How are you doing, sir? Hi, Chris. I'm fine. Thank you very much. So, gents, wanted to talk about, well, we'll, we'll talk about the fireside chat topics. Of course, as I mentioned, one big thing. Normally, we've done a couple of these where I've got Chris to talk over the campaign, but we're not going to do that. We're going to dive straight into the conversations that we had on that sofa. And the reason why I wanted to do this today is because even having those conversations in that video, I felt like there were some more nuggets of interesting information that our listeners who listen to the podcast might find interesting. So I'm going to start off with with just mentioning, obviously, that the top three areas that we talked about in the fireside chat. We talked about talent and the talent attraction challenges that CPOs are facing. We talked about hybrid working and some of those issues. And we talked about employee value proposition. I'm going to start with you, Chris, and then I'll, I'll get Tim's views on this. We talked in the video about whether or not these are still resonating with our audience and whether CPOs would still put these as a top, the top three. Can you just give me a bit of insight from your perspective as to what you think? And then uh, we'll go straight to Tim straight after. So I definitely think each of the three topics are still as relevant as they were when we first did this research. I think especially talent attraction and retention is, you know, one of the one of the big ticket items for CPOs and, and those discussions continue. I think how we work and you know the whole hybrid working you see articles still in in newspapers in HR publications you know different of our clients are still talking about it so I absolutely think it's relevant and employee value proposition you know we, we're having lots of discussions people are still trying to make sure that that what they're offering is as appealing as, as it can be to employees so I, I I absolutely think they're still hot topics they're still relevant and you know people are still interested in in talking about them in solving the different issues and, and making sure the focus is is still there yeah and Tim you've obviously been you've been out on the road recently over the last few weeks meeting lots and lots of HR professionals over the global scale do some of these as we talked about some of these areas talent hybrid working EVP is it still top of their agenda 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I went from sort of Europe to Asia, then across the Middle East, and then and then back to the UK, and probably spoke to about 600 people in total. And I like to do a bit of polling to kind of understand where people are. And these topics, all three of these topics were, were near the top, especially really interesting employee experience, which I relate to employee value proposition. I think they're linked. But, you know, the other thing I observed is there's no slowdown in talent acquisition. People are not behaving as if there's a recession coming. And that seems to be the number one thing they're focused on, which is trying to get talent in and then and then retain that talent. So yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, I heard a lot of people, you know, still struggling with hybrid working, absolutely saying it works in terms of people's productivity engagement, but still trying to work the kinks out so that it works for everybody. So yeah, these three resonated across all three of those regions, Europe, Middle East, and, and Asia, which is, uh, which is remarkable because that doesn't happen very often, but clearly all three regions are thinking the same thing as uh, which we are in the UK. Can I go just off piste with you, Tim, just for a second before we move back to the, to the videos, which is around that the bullishness around not going into recession like what's the kind of vibe that you've been getting like why are people so bullish why is there still still such a drive and you know talent i understand why talent is still going to be a focus like finding the right skills and you know the next generation of talent but why, why do you think that recession question isn't really impacting people well, I think one, the, the leadership of these organizations are are behaving as if there isn't one coming. I saw a survey beginning of March by the conference board, which is, I think, an excellent survey, uh, usually when they put these out. And essentially, CEOs are looking very, very positively towards the second half of 2023 and into 2024. I think that permeates through the organization, in particular to HR. And and people told me the leaders are telling them, keep, keep the foot on the accelerator, go find good talent and make sure we don't lose any good talent. And that's why it seems to be sort of right up there, number one. So I think people are keeping an eye on things, you know, and, and saying, you know, it could happen. But for the moment, people are not detecting in most industries and in most uh, regions, not detecting a slowdown. So yeah, that's interesting. And some some positivity, I guess, for our listeners, um, although I guess a lot of our listeners who are chief people officers, senior leaders within their businesses probably are feeling and hopefully feeling as bullish themselves. Chris, I want to come back on to you now and we'll move back to the fireside chat if that's all right. So in the video that we did, we talked about thinking about digital transformation and how you thought technology might be one of those things higher on the list. So do you want to just give us some thoughts around that and just expand on on the bits that you talked about in the video? So, so I think, you know, the whole digital transformation from a sort of core HR perspective will be that in specialist areas like recruitment or talent acquisition around learning or any of the other, you know, key topics that, that we could discuss. I guess my question is, is it now just such a given that that people need to be in the cloud and need to make sure that that that's happening that, that it's just it's almost a hygiene factor and that so people are focusing on it but not necessarily highlighting that or is it something that they may be delaying the investment or delaying making a move to the cloud or or changing some of their technology due to cost constraints or or delaying investment i think it's i think it's still fundamental i think it's a significant enabler i think as we talk more about AI and different things, I think there will be components that, that people need to look at. So I think it will only get bigger or have greater focus. But it was just interesting that it was not, you know, it was not top five even in, in the research that we did. It was it was there, but not it was more of an afterthought rather than the, the primary focus. Yeah. And Tim, can I just get you to jump in on this as well? Just any thoughts that you've had from that perspective and surprises around technology not being featured higher up the list? I think if you are in perhaps some other regions like 
in the Middle East and Asia. It, the technology is is high up on the list. It's kind of folks there are sort of where perhaps maybe we were in Western Europe five years ago. So they are definitely getting on the bandwagon of getting in place you know, more sophisticated HR systems or replacing old systems. It's just a bit of a, they're just perhaps seeing themselves a little bit behind in that respect. But I mean, they they felt, I heard over and over again in Asia, Middle East people felt like they got caught out in the pandemic, didn't have the technology they needed. And so that seems to put a push on it. But it isn't number one, it isn't the number one thing or the number two thing. But if you think about it, if you think about talent, EVP and hybrid working, technologies and enable all three of those things. So yeah. it's kind of in a way, you know, kind of in the, it's kind of underneath and underpinning everything. So it's very important to them. I think here in Western Europe, a lot of organizations have pretty much got what they need in terms of mature technologies and probably rode out the pandemic a bit better. So I think it depends on the region that you're looking at. Yeah, certainly. All right. Well, I want to talk about a point which Alice actually raised. And Tim, I'll stick with you on this one just to get your thoughts on this. So one of the things during the video that Alice talked about when we were talking specifically about the hybrid piece, I'm going to come to the hybrid piece in a bit, but I just wanted to pick out this little bit before we go into the individual bits of the video themselves. She was talking about how from a hybrid perspective, the proposition needs to work for both employees and the business itself. So just get some thoughts from you around that, if that's all right. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. There are some organizations that are kind of putting their foot down and saying, we're done with that. We're not doing it anymore. I think they're a minority. I think the majority are experimenting or have put it in place and it's working for them. But I think it, it absolutely has to work for the organization, has to work for the individual. But I think it also has to work for teams. I think teams have to figure out how they're going to do it. And I think sometimes that's where some friction can come. But but what's astonishing is I think everybody, it just, it's, it's, it's just over and over again, I hear it over and over again where people are saying, people's engagement and productivity has gone up, you know, pretty, pretty significantly. And everybody's kind of in agreement that this is a way to create more engagement and more performance in the organization, but it's, it's got to be tweaked and designed better. And so people are just experimenting with different ways of doing it. But I would say that, yeah, it's got to work for all three. It's got to work for the individual, the team and the organization. Yeah, Chris, from your perspective, I saw you nodding vociferously when uh, Tim was talking about the team's part of it, figuring so, out. So, I, so I, th I think for me, that's the fundamental. I think the massive shift to to focus on the individual and 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 probably employee agency. But if I look at it, I think it's looking at how teams perform, what they need to do, you know, what work they actually need to do and how best that work can be achieved. So I think through discussions as a team, that's how you make hybrid working work. I think it's fascinating that as different organisations either, you know, dictate or agree certain days that people need to go into work or not. I think some of the more draconian measures will backfire. To Tim's point, I think actually the flexibility and, and, and you know, the letting people work with their teams to decide seems to be working. So I kind of think almost let's get on with it now. Like I, I, I yeah. almost think as, as long as we're, we're talking as a team, we're agreeing objectives and we're agreeing that, that you know, it, where people are going to work to achieve those objectives, it doesn't really matter. Slightly different if you're in, you know, customer facing, you know, whether it's a shop, hospitality, something like that. But I even think there's there's different discussions around flexibility and, and things that you can do there. So I, I, I think, you know, power to employees, but on the flip side, businesses need to still, you know, make money, be profitable, have a working business model. So it's, it's discussion, it's the team, it's bringing that to life. 
Yeah. Do you know, um, I, I was going to go sort of in the priority order that our CPOs gave us and, and talk about talent and then hybrid working in EVP. But given that we're just touching on, we've just touched on that, the hybrid working thing, and I'll, I'll go back to you, Tim, if that's all right, because you wrote, we'll stick on the hybrid working for a, a little bit, because you obviously wrote a three-part series for us on the silver bullet, how there is no silver bullet. So can you just give us a bit of an overview? Because you talked about that in the video as well as to uh, the angle that we posited to our listeners and to our readers as well. Yeah, actually, no, I took I took the opposite point, which is I said, I haven't seen very many silver bullets in my career, but but hybrid working seems to be possibly a silver bullet to fix a lot of things that that it's sort of we stumbled into it. And it seems to have fixed a number of things with regards to people's ability to perform. I mean, I've heard over and over again about how much it, it reduces commuting and that gives people more time to, for personally, but also gives them a bit more time for work, gives them some flexibility to mix a bit of the home life and the work life. And and that they they feel like they've got headspace, they can get quiet time by working at home. And so for me, it's just, you know, just doing this kind of, you know, tour that I've done for the past month. And on Monday, I did a I did a, a workshop, an online workshop for some folks in the Caribbean. So it was some public sector companies and in places like Jamaica and some banks. And it was quite remarkable that in that region, for some reason, people have just refused to go back to work. They're all working. From oh, really? Home. And they don't even go on to the office. They got hit really hard by COVID and people are still a little bit scared. And so people are kind of refused. So it's really common to have like whole teams, whole divisions, you know, who just completely work from home. And over and over again, the people are saying it's just working so well for them. Nobody wants to touch it. It's like, no, let's not mess with this because it seems to be seems to be working for people. They're happier, healthier and producing more. And so I, I kind of take the point of view that hardly anything gets to the level of a silver bullet. But but this seems to just everywhere I look, it seems to be the feedback is this has done some really interesting and positive things for the workplace. Yeah, it certainly has. I think there is obviously always caveats, isn't there? So you've got some businesses that just can't simply can't do because of the nature of the work that they do. They can't just adopt a hybrid working. You're thinking about people who are working retail. We're not all suddenly going to have retail shop assistants that can digitally send across your uh, groceries to you or do anything like that. So, you know, there's always that kind of, there's always the caveats that exist in there. But certainly I, I'm with you and I've seen that myself. Like we joke about it in the lace office. We come into the office for the collaboration and like, you know, coming up with creative ideas and things like that. But sometimes my productivity when I'm actually in the office compared to when I'm at home certainly does drop. Just a little mini plug for our uh, our listeners. We are actually going to be launching in April a campaign around workforce productivity in which we're going to do lots of exploring this sort of angle. We'll be doing some blogs and podcasts, you know, linking, you know, things like the link between happiness and, uh, and engagement and, uh, and how that leads to productivity, as well as getting better at leveraging data and analytics to start to analyze productivity levels. You know, we're going to look at all of that sort of stuff in the coming weeks but i really liked what you said there tim around you know getting more headspace and that commuting thing as well really resonates with me because it takes me an hour to get into the office and an hour to get back and if i've got a particularly heavy day where i need to get a lot of stuff done i won't go into the office not because i don't want to be in the office because out of preference i quite enjoy going in and seeing my colleagues but actually i go in because i think that's two hours of work which i can get done i mean i can do a bit of work on the train but it's never as good but it's a it's it's certainly a 
it's an interesting angle. We're going to be exploring that more as well in the coming weeks. Chris, I don't want to keep you out of the the hybrid discussion because Tim and I will probably just, we can talk forever and ever and ever and you'll just sit there smiling politely at us. But in the in the video itself, you talked about going back to basics or when it comes to businesses looking at hybrid. Could you just want to touch on that? And I know you've obviously mentioned some bits in it earlier on uh, when we were just talking in the pod. So, so I think there's lots of stuff as a team that's important to do. So I think, you know, clear communication, clear objectives, clear shared goals, places that you can collaborative work on things together. So I think a lot of that is going back to basics and making sure, you know, as a team, we clear on what we're trying to achieve. Are we clear on what those objectives are? Are we clear who's working on what? Are we are we clear in meetings that we're, you know, we're being good in our practices where we've got agendas, where we're taking notes, where we've got actions, all of those kind of things. So I think I think it's fundamental. I think it's basic, but I think it's actually been a good exercise for lots of people to go back to those things and make sure that some people were doing it well face-to-face, some people maybe had got lax about it. I think definitely in the hybrid space, being virtual, you really have to you know, have that structure and, and that governance and that organization so that you are making sure that everyone is clear, is working on the right things and, and actually has the ability to understand what their team's doing, but also where's their place in it and what do they need to do? Yeah, it's a, it, it's really interesting. I want to, um, I want to, I do, I do want to move on to the, the talent stuff, but just before we move on to talent, what you were just saying a minute ago, Tim, where you were talking about speaking to people in the Caribbean who just refused to go back to work and it, it triggered, it's just triggered a, something that we talked about in the video, which is around company culture. And I know that you're, you're talking broadly over, you know, out there as a as a whole people tend to have just rejected this idea of well, we're just not going back into the office but can i just get you to reflect on how important a role an organization's culture plays in delivering or successfully delivering hybrid working yeah i mean the 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 companies that seem to be making the best use of it are those that are open to experimentation and and flexibility in that experimentation and try things and then say okay that didn't work let's try something else it it, it was interesting that there was one one individual from a bank on monday from jamaica and this isn't something i thought about but the the organization basically it is a long commute um, to get to the bank, even though Jamaica is not a very big island, apparently I haven't been, but it's quite a long commute. And what happens is so, if somebody's not feeling well in the morning, they're tending to stay home and work from home because really it's kind of the commute that's just going to make them feel worse, right? So they stay yeah. home and work, but they don't come in and get other people sick, right? And they stay home and they work from there, but then they're still able to to engage with, with the work and the, the organization has seen overall sickness days and sick in the organization go down because people aren't coming in and, and getting other people sick. And so they've got a culture that said, that's a good thing. Let's that That's an interesting finding that we've got. Let's continue to find ways to make that okay. To say, you know, if you're not feeling well enough to, to get into work, well, if you're going to work, then that's great and hope you get well. You know, that's sort of interesting way to look at it. Yeah, it is an interesting way to look at it. And it's obviously one of the, just the 
added benefits that they just didn't know exist and all of a sudden you know post pandemic or during the pandemic when we were thrust into all of this these kind of just knock on added benefits have just they've just surfaced and then i guess it's about businesses recognizing and being able to track and monitor this sort of stuff so they can say actually look we can actually evidence the success of of yeah. hybrid working for us and that's that's quite an important thing as well for organizations is being able to recognize that and say okay well we've we've got some data here and we've got some data points to recognize, you know, this is adding a lot of value to the business other than just, you know, giving our employees choice and making them feel happy that they can then work from home a little bit. I want to talk about the talent section of it. Um, and I'm going to start with you, Mr. Horton. So just give us a bit of an overview because we talked about talent marketplaces and the importance of them, how businesses can get better at, you know, leveraging talent marketplaces, internal, external. So just some thoughts from you, if that's all right. So, so, you know, you look at the majority of job adverts and where people actually recruit, and it's, you know, 66% plus is generally external. Yeah. So I think there's a fundamental question that everyone needs to ask, and that's around, do you actually understand your people? Do you understand their skills? Do you understand their interests? Do you understand what, what, what they you know, their capabilities. And I think that the key there is through talent marketplace, both internally and externally, but but my focus to start off with is internally to say, do we actually know what capabilities they have, what skills they have? Do we have a way in which we can present opportunities so that they can identify those opportunities and want to, to work? And I think, you know, as you get more and more increased um, talent challenges to find the right people to do the right job. We need to look at different pools of talent. I think that's fundamental to focus greater internally. And, you know, the different talent marketplace technologies that exist really help to do that. I then think there is an external focus to that as well. So, you know, whether that's for short-term gigs where you need a certain resource, certain skill set that maybe doesn't exist within the organization, or, you know, the ways in which you manage bigger pieces of work. So I think, I think, Talent marketplace, I think focusing internally on talent, but I also think, you know, managing that in a, a holistic sense is really important for organisations. Yeah, it definitely is. And really interesting, that first question you posed, do you understand your people's skills and capabilities, is really quite fundamental to be able to keep people, to retain people, to attract them. Because if somebody is naturally looking up to move uh, move, you know, change their roles or, or develop themselves, then, you know, that talent mobility piece is quite important. And Tim, you obviously talked about that in the in the fireside chat. So let's just talk on talent mobility a bit, just uh, give our audience a flavour as to some of the bits that you talked about there, particularly, I think you mentioned around strategic workforce planning. Yeah, it's such a missed opportunity, really, because it's it, it's, a lot of people seem to be very focused on talent acquisition when if you look internally in your organization, you may have a lot of what you already need. And if you don't, you could certainly develop it. And companies that are very good at moving people around into different roles, different departments, you know, get, creating well-rounded employees that can do many things, typically don't have to go out to the market to find people. They can set up an internal market where people and, and roles can find themselves and you're, you're less dependent then on the external. External market. The, the other aspect of, of 
strategic workforce planning, because if you use it for that, then you know you, you don't need to go out for so many people. But you do. You have to go out and get some people and you have to also let some people go because they don't have the skills that you need anymore. And that's a constant process. It isn't kind of when times are good, you just binge on on hiring people. And when times are bad, you binge on firing them. You, it's a constant process of yeah. leveling out the people you bring in and the people you let go and then the people that you use internally into different roles. And strategic workforce planning is is absolutely the core of, of doing that. Problem is there aren't many companies that have a capability to do that. And it mm. usually is because of two things. One, they lack the data to do it. They don't know the workforce as well as they should. And second, they don't have a sort of mindset and processes. And then lastly, the technology to do it. And so it kind of gets done in bits and pieces, if at all. But it's going to become more and more uh, a core strategic activity. You can see that in that a lot of universities are starting to teach it as a degree in yep. business school. And, and so I think we'll see it emerge in the 21st century as a more important, you know, in, in the 2020s, 2030s, more important discipline to get to get your head around. But the companies that do it well, um, because they can get the right people in the right place at the right time. Yeah, and that is fundamental, isn't it? Chris, I just wanted to, we're going to need to move off talent because we're getting into the last sort of five minutes of the pod today. But we had a really interesting discussion around, and we made a joke about it on the actual pod because it's ironic that we're both called Chris H. And we talked about this kind of balance of making sure that you hire people with, you know, different backgrounds. You don't want everybody to, you don't want a homogenous set of robots that are all exactly the same. So can I just get you just to talk to our listeners a little bit about some of that, the parts of that that we discussed, other than obviously everyone should uh, be called Chris working in an organization and have the surname that begins with H. Yeah. I, I do want to give a caveat to people that not everyone in our organization is called Chris, nor are they all <laughs> white males. In fact, we have lots of people who are not called Chris and who are of a different gender and do it particularly well. I think I think it is fundamental that through your recruitment processes that you're not ending up with a group of people that are all the same. I think it's interesting how you end up doing that. So I think culturally, you have to look at different sourcing strategies so that you're not going to all the same places to get the same kind of people. I also think as part of your recruitment interviews, that you're not placing an overemphasis on cultural fit, or, oh, I like that person, or, oh, they're quite similar to me. So I think I think it's making sure we're unbiased in our recruitment practices as well. So I think it's absolutely fundamental to look at different, you know, different sourcing strategies to make sure that you're not getting the same kind of people the whole time. And then, you know, absolutely that, that in in the the you know, recruitment process that you go through you're making sure that that you know you are open to people who are different to you and really making sure that that you get the best out of that yeah certainly right we've got a couple more minutes left and i do want to get to the final piece which is employee value proposition which came up as one of our top three tim in the uh in the video you talked about some of the dangers of evp essentially becoming potentially meaningless because uh, people are, are using it soft. can i just get you to reflect on that and i know obviously also you and alice had had a conversation about you know you can't just be a tick box exercise let's just get an evp on a website and we're done so just just some reflections from you before we wrap up today 
Yeah, I think, you know, where I've seen EVP really clearly defined is when an organization's purpose, which then produces its mission and vision statements, but its purpose is very, very clear. Because from there, everything can drive in terms of the value proposition. Because the employee value proposition is a set of kind of perceptions and beliefs of the workforce, right? And it's something they encounter and feel. And and so you have to take that into account when when you're designing it. So I think it starts at that level with kind of purpose and emotion and you know we're, we're people but then you can design aspects of EVP that really creates this thing I like to call moments that matter so so mm-hmm. all the way through your 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 employee life cycle you know the important moments like onboarding you know are, are done really really well and done to the kind of core beliefs and purpose of the organization performance management is done that way et cetera, et cetera. and that's always kind of the core and then and too often people will jump to technology as the thing. Well, we're going to get some technology. It's whizzy and easy to use. Well, that's kind of the last thing you want to do. That kind of underpins your EVP and your and your employees experience of that EVP. So I just think it, it can be it can get really diluted and confused uh, if it isn't driven from a really clear you know purpose and mission of the organization and then permeates that way. Yeah, definitely. And Chris, we're just pretty much out of time, but any sort of final thoughts or reflections from you on that that EVP angle that we uh, we discussed about in the video? So I I think with, with EVP, it's really just making sure you're thinking through what are all the things that need to be part of your offer and is that attractive to people? But then also from an employee experience, how do you deliver against that? So to me, the EVP is all around what we're actually offering, but the employee experience is how you deliver against that. So, so to you know, all of Tim's point, it's making sure that that you're constantly delivering against those key components. Yeah, that's brilliant. So we are out of time for today. Thank you very much to my two fabulous gents who have helped to just give us a whistle-stop tour of the videos that we've got. They're on YouTube. They're also on our website as well. So if you go to the Lace Partners website, lacepartners.co.uk, have a look in our insights section. You can search via the video function. You can see a little bit of those discussions, those fireside chats that we'll have. I think we'll do some more fireside chats as we go through the year. And we've got a couple of other campaigns as I mentioned. We've got the Workforce Product campaign that we'll be launching in April and that'll run a few months where we'll have some insight from both uh, Lacers like Tim and Chris no doubt and we will also look to get some external perspectives as well but there's nothing more for me to say other than to thank Mr Horton for coming along Chris thank you very much thank you Mr Howard and thank Mr Ringo for joining me thank you very much Tim my pleasure if you want to get this podcast you know where to get it but if you don't go to lacepartners.co.uk forward slash podcast you can see all of our back catalogue thank you very much for joining us we hope you found this enjoyable please give us feedback we love feedback my name is chris howard i hope to see you next time on the hr on the offensive podcast bye-bye